the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. You can um, go online and see video after video after video where people have gone into stores, convenience stores, small stores, and just gone out there with shop loads full of stuff. Out in California, it is no longer a felony to steal anything at or below $950. And when that law first passed, one of my friends who runs a convenience store told me he literally saw people coming in with calculators, smartphones, so they could add up the amount of money that they are stealing to make sure it doesn't exceed 950 so they will not be prosecuted for a felony. It's incredible. We're going to be talking about all of this in just a few minutes. Now, as a homeowner, one of the worst things you can do is miss out on a lower interest rate because a lower rate can mean hundreds of dollars in monthly savings, and it could even be more. Now, it just takes a 10-minute call to American Financing to get started. You'll work with a dedicated mortgage consultant, somebody who will guide you through custom loans without any pressure, no upfront, upfront fees either. You know what else? When you refinance with American Financing, you don't have to start your term over. You can choose any term, 10 years and over, because you shouldn't pay interest on years you don't need. Learn more by calling 866-886-2026. That's 866-886-2026. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, American Financing. NMLS 182334 NMLS Now, check out these numbers. Last year, through June 16, 31 officers have been killed. This year, through June 16, 45 have been killed. And as to officers that have been assaulted, Shot at, stabbed. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Or assaulted with a car. 
That's up 45%. This is from CNN. You and I talked about this yesterday a little bit, and we talked about the record numbers of shootings in this country uh, and mass shootings so far this year. Those numbers have only risen since the last time that we talked. It seems that when people come together, when they gather, um, there's always a fear of gun violence these days. We have a couple of incidents that, to, to, to talk about of the many across the entire country that have happened in the past couple of days. Uh, in Dallas, eight people shot, including a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old, when police say two separate parties sort of interacted with each other and shots broke out, uh, leading those people getting shot. Um, and in Oakland, another celebration happened. A 22-year-old man was killed, and five other people, ranging from the ages from 16 to 27, were shot after gunfire up to the celebration there. Um, police have arrested two men uh, and confiscated two firearms connection with that incident. But these are just two of the many, many stories across the entire country that are happening this weekend, the previous weekend, and hopefully not next weekend, but the way things are going now, this is the summer of shootings, Jim. So you've got the defund the police movement. You have the Black Lives Matter movement that seems to only care about black lives when they're shot by a white police officer. You've got officers being accused falsely of systemic racism. They're pulling back as Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, said when he was mayor that the police in Chicago have, quote, gone fetal, close quote, for fear of being falsely accused of engaging in racial profiling or engaging in systemic racism. Cops pull back. Bad guys know it. They act more aggressively. And the possibility of a deadly confrontation increases when a suspect fails to comply an occurrence that is made less likely, in my opinion, by telling a young black man that when he's pulled over by the police, expect violence. Expect that this person is a bigot out to do him harm. You remember that officer that offered LeBron James a chance to come in and speak with them so that he could hear from the officer's perspective what it's like to be a police officer? As far as I know, Mr. James has yet to take up the officer on his request. But LAPD officer Dion Johnson, the one who made the request, was interviewed by Epic Times and talked about what he used to think about police officers before he became one, how his friends disassociated him uh, when disassociated themselves from him when he decided to become a cop. And he said that 90 percent of the kinds of stories you hear about police officers are phony because when he used to hate officers, he joined this organization and said we all sat around one time and. Uh, we were asked to tell us uh, tell the worst thing that ever happened to us by a police officer. He said, one of my friends went on and on and on. He said, I, I, and I know him. He said, I know it wasn't true. His mother wouldn't even let him leave the house, let alone uh, get out so he could have some sort of confrontation with a police officer. He said it was all BS. Here is what Mr. Officer, LAPD Officer Dion Joseph said in part. We'll try to play part of it uh, over the next couple of segments. So here's the first part of it. I always tell people, you know, I'm no different than Af- my brothers and sisters in the African-American community. The only difference between me and them is that I've seen the other side. I, I know what the other side is. And it's and I'm sorry, I don't work in a never ending scenario in a training day movie, you know, with Denzel Washington. I don't work in that. You know, I don't see that daily. But prior to that, I hated law enforcement officers. I was guided to the thought as an African-American male that. The police were inherently my enemy through the music I listened to. Uh, Public Enemy, KRS-One, NWA. Yes, F the Police was playing in my 89 Nissan Sentra every day. It was one of my favorite songs. Uh, You know, I was racially profiled a couple of times that left a negative taste in my mouth. Uh, And that's a real thing that needs to be eradicated. 
Uh, also, in high school, I joined an activist group uh, called Young Black Activists. And initially, the group was about pride in our heritage, that we had a heritage that went far beyond slavery. Some people want to make the world believe that black history began in slavery and in Jim Crow South. That's not true. We were kings and queens back. And I love that. That's what attracted me to the group. But then there was a leadership switch. And in that leadership switch, he brought in this whole thing of America hates you. Police are inherently racist. The white man's the devil and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, these are my friends. So I was digging it. Right. Uh, and I'll never forget that uh, we had one of our weekly, uh, indoctrination sessions <laughs> and uh, uh, the leader said, okay, let's talk to all tell a story about how the police has negative negatively impacted you. And everybody was telling these stories and I knew these guys and I'm like, really? And everybody was kind of what you call toppers. You know, one guy had to top the next and I knew some of them were lying. So then and I'm not even gonna lie. I apologize, America. I was trying to come up with my topper. <laughs> right. And I never. Amadou Diallo. Uh, he is the immigrant who was shot and killed by four police officers in YPD. And Hillary Clinton pronounced those officers, quote, murderers, close quote, before one word of testimony had been taken. He matched the description of a suspect. The police told him to show his hands. He misunderstood or didn't hear the direction and reached into his back pocket to pull out his wallet. They thought he was reaching for a firearm and they blew him away. A jury of 12, four blacks found all four officers not guilty. So when you throw him on that pile of people that you claim were unjustly treated by the police, uh, I take exception to that one. And the others also have explanations. But uh, let's continue. This is Officer Dion Joseph, LAPD officer. He's a skid row officer. And he's the one who offered LeBron James an opportunity to come in and speak with officers with the LAPD so that LeBron James would have a better understanding about police practices so that he could stop this nonsense about the, the police engaging in systemic racism against black people. Here is Dion Joseph. He's just now explaining that he joined this organization, hate cop organization, hate whitey organization, and someone came and asked them to name the worst thing that the police ever did to them. And he said he knew these guys and he knew they were lying. Never been in trouble with the law. Uh, and it got to one of my friends and he goes, uh, uh, every time I step outside my house, the police harass me. And I look at him like, your mama don't even let you out the house. <laughs> I can't even get you to come play basketball with me. You're a Jehovah Witness. You go door to door and that's it. <laughs> and when I saw that, I realized at that moment that I was being indoctrinated to hate other people. And I kind of stepped away from the group and I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, but that indoctrination didn't stop. Uh, then comes me going to junior college. I joined the Black Student Union. It was more of the same stuff we're hearing today. This is what we're hearing today is on steroids, and now it's aided by social media. And then came the Rodney King incident. And the media was playing that over and over and over and over. Then O.J. Simpson, and, it was, and everything was being made about race, 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 race. And that left a bad taste in my mouth. So I, I hated police officers. I really did. And the funny thing is, I had good contacts with police officers, but you always remember the negative. And that's the point. Like I said, one of the most evil men in the 20th century always wanted you to focus on the negative of any group of human being. And it worked. It worked. So I ended up uh, joining the police department uh, begrudgingly. You know, I put my name in so many different hats. I wanted to be everything but a cop, a janitor, sanitation. I mean, I was even on Fairfax and third selling flowers, right? It was, <laughs> there was, I couldn't believe that. I had met my beautiful wife, uh, uh, Tasha, and I wanted to be a good provider for her. 
And I was out of work for three months and I was thinking about breaking up, breaking off the engagement. And a friend of mine and an uncle who was a police officer said, why don't you join the police force? We're looking to hire African-Americans. I'm like, what? That police force? Are you kidding me? Oh, <laughs> hell no. Right. That was me. You know, I'm not going to do that. You know, and uh, things got harder for me. So finally I did. And uh, out of all the jobs I applied for, the only one that called me was the police department. And I'll never forget when I got the letter as my mother and father, they're closing the restaurant down because we were losing business. I got the letter in the mail. And I opened it up and it said I was accepted. Three of my friends were in the restaurant. And when I told them what I got accepted for, they stood up and walked out of the restaurant and stopped talking to me. You hear that? Three of his friends, when he found out, when they found out he was joining the LAPD, walked out and stopped talking to him. This is what this anti-cop rhetoric has done. On the one hand, you complain about officers that are insensitive, don't understand the people, don't understand the community. And you're wondering why the kinds of people that you want don't join the police force. They're considered to be an occupying force by some people. Not the majority. The silent majority respects police officers. The silent majority knows why they're there. As he points out, what people want is to be treated with respect, and for the most part, they are. So this minority, this Black Lives Matter movement, this systemic racism movement, led by a numerical minority, it's imperiling the lives of the majority of law-abiding people living in that very same community. We're talking about Officer Dion Joseph. He is the black officer who offered LeBron James an opportunity to come into the LAPD and speak with officers. And by the way, he believes that Derek Chauvin committed murder. Uh, does not believe that what happened to George Floyd is in any way, shape, or form excusable and believes that the jury verdict was an appropriate verdict. But here he is talking about his perception of police when he, before he became a police officer, the fact that after he joined the force, uh, several of his friends literally walked out, stopped speaking to him. That's how entrenched it was. It was like they saw it as me peeling off my black skin and stomping on it to join something evil. And it hurt. It hurt, and I struggled with that initially. I struggled with my quote-unquote blackness. Uh, and uh, I'll never forget what my uncle said to me. His Dion, the job is what you make it. You know, if you become corrupt on this job, it's because you were corrupt anyway. And when he said, put it like that, it made sense. So I took a chance. My only goal was to join the police department for three years, make a little money, save a little money, and find something else and get the <laughs> hell out of here, right? But I ended up falling in love, and I discovered that 90% of what was being said about police officers was absolutely false. They weren't all inherently racist. The reality is our job is as unpredictable as humanity is, and we're just human beings doing it. And unfortunately, our detractors can't wait for one of us to have a human moment so they could take that moment, just like Adolf Hitler did with the Jews and other people did with other people, and say, this is what policing is. But I work with officers from all walks of life, black, white, Hispanic, uh, and, and they were all just decent people doing a tough job. Uh, is there a negative exception in law enforcement? Absolutely. And it's funny, I was on probation. And, uh, and at that time, I was still struggling with my blackness, you know, because I still was kind of woke, you know, <laughs> <laughs> a woke police officer. Right. So I got assigned this uh, white officer. He was six foot four, 240 pounds, tall, blonde hair, blue eyed, the stereotypical picture of what you would think a racist cop with a big handlebar mustache. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Lord God. And then I heard that he arrested 2,300 people in a black community called Oakwood. And I'm like, oh, my God, my people, they're going to hate me. Right. So, because, you know, we get it worse than anybody else. Oh, you Uncle Tom, you Sambo, you know, whatever. 
So we ended up getting the car with him and I'm, we're driving to Oakwood where he works. And I couldn't believe I was hearing this. What's up, Snow? How you doing, Snowden? God bless you, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for what you did for me, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for saving my cousin. And I'm sitting here like, you know, <laughs> in shock, right? This white guy is getting more love than I've ever seen a black person get, right? So one day I asked him, I said, sir, why do these people love you so much? Because I'm thinking in my head, in my woke mind, uh, are you so corrupt and so dangerous that these people are afraid of you that they say hello to you? Right? <laughs> so he pulls the car over and says, Dion, this is Oakwood. It's the most dangerous part of the area we serve. The people who live here understand there's a high level of crime and they know why we're here. The silent majority do. Uh, here's the thing they want from you and me. Whether we're arresting them, saving them, counseling them, they just want us to treat them like human beings with dignity and respect. And as long as you work with me, young man, you will treat everyone we contact with dignity and respect. And all I could say to that was, yes, sir, because that's what I was raised on. That's how my parents raised me. And it affirmed that I don't have to be a, an Adam Henry. I don't want to say the word what we call it Adam Henry to be a police officer. I can treat people with decent. And he kind of molded my policing style later on, along with my parents and some other great officers, too. But uh, it, the narrative that all police officers hate people of color and we're in this movement to hurt people of color is a is a false one. It's a are there changes? Do we still need to evolve? Does racism exist in policing? Absolutely, sure. Uh, but that's a negative exception. But these things also exist in other professions as well. Racism, apathy, brutality, love, hate, fairness. These are not police traits. They're human traits. And as long as human beings wear badges, doctors, coats, and military, somebody's going to disappoint us all. What's not fair is the hyper-focus on policing. We're being used as the catalyst to end racism. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Look, doctors in the medical field, wonderful profession. God bless doctors. I love doctors. I still go to the doctor myself if I have a problem, right? Uh, but in one year, doctors killed 250,000 individuals through malpractice, uh, accidents, and misdiagnosis. Many of them were people of color. Where's the outrage? No anger. No defunding doctors. Uh, some doctor probably killed somebody with a scalpel, but I don't hear anybody taking away scalpels for doctors to use in the surgery. Teachers, I respect teachers to death. I know they have a tough job. They're under, like us, understaffed, undersupported, classrooms are crowded, and I believe most of them are valuable to our society. But let's not lie and say there's not a negative exception that sleeps with 28 first graders or another teacher we found out was feeding his bodily excrements to uh, little kids or sleeping with some, some man's 17-year-old daughter or student in his class. Uh, let's not say, pretend that doesn't exist. But when that happens, no one's talking about defunding teachers. No one's talking about shutting down. People are still sending their kids to school, you know, military. Anybody who puts on a uniform to go defend our country, you are a hero to me. Let's not pretend that there hasn't been horrific catastrophes done by the negative exception of our of military personnel. But we're not talking about getting rid of military. So why are we doing it to police officers when clearly there's a need? And if we look at it everywhere where people have bought into this narrative that police are the problem, they are the main problem. Crime is going up. People are dying. And it's mostly people of color. See, what you're creating is this. Yeah, I know you want to fight racial inequities in policing, which, hey. We want to fight it in everything. But what you're doing is creating more of a racial uh, despair through crime. And more people of color are getting victimized at a higher rate than any police officer could. That's the society we're living in, and it's dangerous. We have to stop engaging in demagoguery and broad brush paintings of any profession. Yes, 
I hate bad cops just like anybody else because they make they retire, go to jail or get fired. And I have to deal with the fallout. But I don't think it's fair for me to pay for something that some jerk did in Minnesota, because I believe what Derek Chauvin did was disgusting and disturbing. And he's right where he belongs. Don't you put that on me because I would never do that. I know police officers who would never, ever do that. So let's not pull out that broad brush and destroy uh, a profession that's needed in our society. That is Officer Dion Joseph, LAPD, from an interview that he did with Epic Times. He offered LeBron James a chance to come in, speak with him or other police officers so that Mr. Uh, LeBron James would have a better understanding of what the police are doing. One more time, the percentage of unarmed blacks killed by the police may be one-third of one percent of all the black homicide victims any given year. One-third of one percent. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Ed Morrissey of HotAir.com for Town Hall. How desperate will Joe Biden be to re-embrace Barack Obama's Iran deal? New Iranian President Ebrahim Raisi declared he will not come to the table unless the Biden administration lifts all current sanctions, removing current economic pressure to reopen talks. Raisi further refused to negotiate on other issues at all, including Iran's ballistic missile program and its funding of terrorism in the region. Israel's new prime minister understands the stakes. Naftali Bennett reminded the West that Raisi acquired the nickname the Hangman of Tehran for leading the death committees which executed thousands of Iranian citizens. The Sunni Arab nations will take the measure of Biden in what he does next. If Biden capitulates to Raisi, the efforts to create a counterweight to Iranian pretensions of dominance in the Middle East will collapse, with catastrophic results to American interests. As Bennett declared, this is the last chance for the West to wake up to the extent of the threat from Iran. I'm Ed Morrissey. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.